Today on Golazzo, the totally Italian football podcast, we reflect on Juventus Real featuring a frankly batty goal and salute batty goal, Gabriel Omar Batistuta. Hello, everybody. Hello, James Horncastle. Hello, Jimbo. Hello, anyone who's joined us after watching the Golazzo show the other day. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I mentioned there the fact that we're, we're doing this the day after the Juventus-Real Madrid game. Yesterday morning, the Gazetta, James, with the headline, <laughs> Mago Max Fallosparire. Max the wizard, make Cristiano Ronaldo disappear. But we saw something else quite magical. Mm. Mm. Quite special. I thought the headline of today's Gazetta was one of the worst headlines what I've ever seen. Okay, so it's basically a big picture of the uh, overhead kick, La Rovesciata, and it says CR Wow. <laughs> or... or Crow. <laughs> yeah, it might be Crow. I've thought about but what do you think? What what do they mean? I have no idea. I think they're just trying to crowbar in wow. Or crowbar in. Yeah, crowbar. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing, isn't but, it? Standing ovation, Per Ronaldo. That was one that was the nice thing from Juve's point of view about an evening that just went spectacularly wrong. Absolutely. And uh they were drawing parallels with uh, when Del Piero had uh, a standing ovation at the uh, at the Bernabeu uh, a few years ago. And uh, and also they thought it was quite nice that you know this this bicycle they have a a, a rich tradition of that at Juventus in Carlo Parola, mm. um, who uh, many people who've got their Panini stickers over the years will he is the guy doing the scissor kick um, in uh, in that uh, that image even though it was a I think it was a clearance as a defender rather than him scoring one but. Uh, yeah, what can you say? You can, there's nothing to do but stand up and applaud, which the Juventus Stadium duly did. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens this evening when Barcelona hosts Roma. Although, <laughs> AS, or AS, the uh, Spanish sports paper, based, not entirely uncoincidentally, in Madrid, today was pointing out that I think last time that Eusebio de Francesco, Roma manager, and Ernesto Valverde, the Barcelona manager, uh, last time they met, do you know when that was? Yeah, it was in the Europa League. And what happened? Sassuolo beat Athletic Bilbao 3 0. 3 0. Yeah. Amazing. But Athletic Bilbao didn't have Messi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Well, anyway, we salute Cristiano Ronaldo. Just an extraordinary goal. But today, we're all about another man who had a statue made of him famously. Batistuta! Batty goal. Now, at the weekend, I mentioned the Golazzo documentary, and in in a tie-in with that, BT Sport did their did a big vote, mm. highlighting the perils of referendum <laughs> um, on who the best eleven of the nineties were, and a lot of people got quite upset because the two that were chosen up front, very good players, Ronaldo and Del Piero, but where where was Batty goal? So ahead of Roma's clash with Fiorentina this weekend. His two clubs, chiefly, in, in Syria. We're going to try and explain why everyone who didn't vote for Batistuta was wrong. Mmm, <laughs> it's November 1995, everybody. And Fiorentina are hosting Lazio. Not just any Lazio team, but one that's just smashed Juventus. 4-0 the previous week. A Lazio team, indeed, that in their last meeting with Fiorentina had beaten La Viola eight goals to two. What a build-up then, as at the Artemio Franchi Stadium, this Lazio side with Aaron Vinter, Di Matteo, Casiraghi, Signori, of course, Nesta, all those greats, took the field 
up against them, James, a Fiorentina side featuring Gabriel Vettistuta, Ricosta Baiano, and Francesco Toldo between the posts. But when the teams come out to take the field, a surprise awaits. <laughs> and what a surprise, a big statue of Gabriel Battistute in front of the uh, Curva Fiesli. I think this was a, his 100th Serie was. appearance mm. uh, for the Viola. And uh, quite an interesting statue because what he stood, uh, it looks like he's holding a spear, but instead it's the corner flag. And uh, the inscription on the, on the bottom, uh, the plinth of the statue, not what you'd maybe expect from a striker, maybe more from like a combative midfielder because it basically says, um, Guerriero Maidomo, Duro nella lotta, leale nell'animo. Wow. Which is uh, sort of what? A warrior that's uh, unbeaten, never tamed, uh, tough in the fight, in the battle, loyal in his spirit, yeah. his soul. Right, and that's the thing. Loyalty, loyalty. What happened that day? Well, of course, Lazio got beaten 2-0. Zenit Zeman's Lazio. Got beaten 2-0. Two stunning goals scored der by Gabriel Battistuta. A couple of years later, I asked him about what he felt when he came on and saw that statue. And he, saw, he said that he was surprised because he personally was never happy with what he'd done. If he scored a goal, he wanted a second. If he scored two, he wanted three. So for him, it was really a shock when he came out and saw that what he had been doing for all those years had had an enormous impression on the fans. So why was he such a legend, why did they build a four-metre statue of him under the Curva Fiesole? And then melt it down. <laughs> well, it was made of paper mache, so probably not too much melting going on. But, but yes. Well, I think um, they didn't really expect much of Batigol when he joined. Um, the deal that they did to get him is quite extraordinary because they'd already signed this number 10 from Argentina called Diego Latore. And uh, Vittorio Cecchigori, the president of Fiorentina, basically sits down one day and thinks, I'm going to watch the Copper America and see what Latore is getting up to. And he notices this long-haired kid, Gabriel Battistuta, who basically scores in every single game in the Copper America, brings him over um, and has to basically persuade Boca Juniors to let him go by saying, right, I've just signed this guy, Latore. Why don't you have him? And uh, I'll buy you the other best up-and-coming player in Argentina, and you have him. So essentially, Fiorentina bought three players in order to get one Batistuta. Wow. And he didn't really do much uh, for the first six months that he was there. There's some kind of resistance in the dressing room towards um, Batistuta because they had Stefano Borganovo um, up front for them, who sadly later died of Lou Gehrig's disease. Marco Branca, young Marco <laughs> Branca. And, uh, and Dunga, and apparently his first training session, James, he gets there and all the players are watching him and they're like, he is rubbish. He can't trap the ball. He's overweight. And uh, the Fiorentina coaching staff basically have to say, look, just, just give him a bit of time to get into some good nick. And lo and behold, I think at the turn of the year, he, he scores against Juventus and didn't stop from then onwards. And right. that's when Batistuta became... Batigol. Right. A, a Fiorentina team who were only recently orphans of, of, of the great Roberto Baggio, mm. of course. And it, bizarrely, uh, they actually, you know, the club will have a number of properties where they keep their players or they, they the players rent uh, these places to live. And Batistuta moved into Baggio's old place. Yeah. And in many ways assumed the mantle. Not only that first year, then our first year of, of Serie A on Channel 4 when he was absolutely extraordinary. And I think one of the key things was that at the end of that season, as you know, Fiorentina ended up going down to Serie B 
and he stayed with them. <laughs> I mean, that was one of the most absurd relegations you'll ever see anywhere on the planet in that they were second in January and Cechi Gordi, one of the craziest owners in Serie A history, basically fires Gigi Radice. And this is a team that not only had Batistuta, who would finish that season with 16 goals, they had Stefan Effenberg as well, so a World Cup winner. Brian Laudrup. Brian Laudrup. So a pretty damn good side. And they just, they basically sacks Radice, brings in, was it Agroppi? Agroppi came in. Who yeah. was then a TV pundit. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then gets rid of him, brings in uh, Antonioni and Chiarughi, and they go down, as you mentioned. And uh, and Batty stays with them, which, yeah, he could have gone to Barcelona, he could have gone to Real Madrid. And even though I think he missed a third of that season in the second division, he still finishes with 16 goals. They win that division with Claudio Ranieri as their manager, mm. who would somehow manage to last four years under Cechi Gordi, who loved to sack managers. But... If you look at the top scorer charts in Serie B in that year, James, you will not only find Gabi Batistuta, you'll find Oliver Bierhoff, who was there with Ascoli. Yeah. You'll find Pippo Inzaghi, who was there with Verona. And you'll find Enrico Chiesa, who wow. was there with Modena. So the second division in Italy in, what, 93-94 was pretty damn extraordinary. And Batty scored some wonderful goals of that year. There's a blinder against Cremonese. There's also one against Southend United in the Anglo-Italian Cup. <laughs> which we haven't been able to find footage of, Sadly. which would have been great. That would have been amazing. So he comes back up and then just hits a whole new level. The number of goals he scores, he becomes Capocannonieri. How many years was he Capocannonieri? I think he was outright Capocannonieri only once. Right, with 26 goals. Yes, um, and he was tied, I think, on another two occasions. But what's phenomenal about Batistuta is that he never took penalties. And had he taken penalties, like, for example, Beppe Signori, mm. who won the Capocannonieri crown three years running, he would have regularly beaten, I think, the likes of Shevchenko, who edged him one year, Macho Amoroso, who, who edged him another year. So this guy's goals, all of them, aside from when he was banging in free kicks from 40 yards, uh, all of his goals were from open play. Um, and, yeah, he was a pure finish and an emphatic one at that with a what dynamite in his right foot really absolutely amazing but yeah this was the thing no stadium in the world was safe from him he'd score at Wembley he'd score at the, the Camp, Camp Nou. Nou at Old Trafford at San Siro wherever and he'd score any kind of goal whether it was little lobs and chips or free kicks or absolute thunder bastards to yeah borrow an expression. which makes that story about his first training session uh, with Fiorentina where he was apparently just so bad. Remarkable, really. You hear the same stories about Inzaghi, one of the other great goal scorers of that era, where basically his Milan teammates would break down in fits of laughter watching him play football in the in sort of the training games that they had at Milanella. They just couldn't believe that this player was was so bad. Um, and yet, when you look at some of Batistuta's goals, he clearly had very accomplished technique to be that precise Absolutely. with that much power. Um, to, I mean, the classic Batistuta goal is him sort of in the channel just outside the box, shifts it onto his right foot and then just finds the top corner. Mm. Um, Nigel Winterburn will know exactly what <laughs> we're talking about because, of course, Nigel was trying to shepherd him away from the danger zone in, uh, when was that? October 1999, Champions League group stage match at Wembley. Mm. Arsenal hosting Fiorentina. 
and then Gabriel goes and does this. And the wonderful thing was, in the next round, Fiorentina take on Man United, and this time it's not Winterburn but Yapstam. But Batty still does this. Fear about the place and a real match taking place. Batty Stuta. And he has silenced Old Trafford. Oh, what is he like? I said about this business if he didn't take too much stuff. One turns, hits it early again. He's got a swerve on it. So Plus many special really goals. Did you have a favourite? Well, his final game for Fiorentina, I think, is quite special because um, he goes into it, I think, two goals short of Kurt Hamrin's record. Um, he was the all-time top scorer for Fiorentina. And they're playing Venezia on the final day, May 14th. And he doesn't just match the record. He scores a hat-trick and he breaks it. And he goes out on that high uh, with the viola. And just sort of reliving that moment, it sort of brought back to me what happened with Higuain a couple of years ago in Serie A, another Argentine striker who's been accused of being a little bit overweight. Um, When, you know, he was hunting down the single-season scoring record, which has stood since 1950, and he needed um, two goals to match Gunnar Nordahl on the final day against Frosinone, and he scored a hat-trick, including just a remarkable bicycle kick. And, uh, yeah, it was just remarkable, really, when you look back at the not only the kind of uh, number of goals that Batty scored, but the number of times he scored braces, number of times he scored hat-tricks. There was that goal he scored in the Super Cup against uh, Milan. Yeah, against Baresi. He's Sombrero's Baresi. <laughs> Sombrero's Baresi. And then famously, uh, was it later in that game, he, his celebration, he runs and he screams down the camera, I love you, Irina, his yeah, wife. Which has then became part of our titles. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that same game, he scored both goals and the other one was a, a, a delicious, well, a free kick from mm, really close in. Exactly. Uh, you also had a, a Del Piero-esque, at Walter's, when he moved to Roma, which we'll touch on in a second, ball up from, I think, Walter Samuel, mm. which he just first times in, from right upfield, and he just basically first times it in. There's a, I mentioned the goal against, the volley against Cremonese. There's a crazy one against Benfica. If you look up Batis to top 10 goals, they'll, they'll all be there. But as you say, he waves goodbye to Fiorentina and their fans and the statue and, and moves to Roma. After flirting with the idea of a move repeatedly, he finally decides to go down and join Capello's Gialorossi and, and, and the fans destroy the statue in there. <laughs> As in you their say, act. it didn't take much destroying being made <laughs> yeah. out of Papi Amashe. But still, what a moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that the thing was, that it was all about the Scudetto. He was a, a player who couldn't get the Scudetto. And there was a year, I think it was probably the previous season, mm. when Fiorentina were top and they were absolutely flying and it oh. looked like finally they were going to end the long Scudetto drought. And then he picks up an injury and Edgemundo takes a flight to Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> Exactly, 98-99, when they had Trapattoni, who basically came in, the guy who was a serial league title winner um, with Juventus and Inter and Bayern Munich. And they were winter champions, and they led the league that season, James, for 22 of the 34 match days. And then, as you mentioned, there's that game against Milan, who would go on and be crowned champions. And he hobbles off, he tries to play on, but just aggravates the injury even more. 
Edmundo doesn't come back from the carnival. Well, he has a clause in his contract when he signed <laughs> that he would be given 10 days off in the middle of the season so he could go and take part in the real carnival because that was a big thing for Edmundo and probably still is. Mm. And when it when Batistuta became injured before Edmundo took the flight, everyone expected the Brazilian to go, fair enough, I need to stay here and help the team. But instead, he basically just left. Yeah. She would, and was what pictured with a chimpanzee. Was I'm it? not sure if that was the was same, same time, <laughs> but still, really, I mean, yeah. Anyway, so to try and earn this title, Batistuta moves down to Rome. At the time, he's already what 31 at the time. Well, again, you mentioned his goals in the Champions League um, for Fiorentina against um, Arsenal and against Manchester United. Batistuta did not play in the Champions League until he was 30. Wow! Which you know, when you consider what a talent he was how, as you said, he scored on the biggest occasions away at some of the biggest grounds. For him to not play in the Champions League throughout all of his 20s is quite a shame, really. Um, he had the opportunity, obviously, to go to Real Madrid or Barcelona when, he was at, when they went down to City B. He could have done that when, you know, he in the end chose to leave for Roma. Roma's not the most conventional club you'd go to if you think, I need to win a title yeah, you would go to a Juventus, you'd go to a Milan or an Inter. They hadn't won the title for almost two decades at yeah, this point. Yeah, exactly. And, and I suppose that's another point with Battistuta as well. You know, when he won the Coppa Italia with Fiorentina, that was their first piece of silverware in, I think, more than 20 years. And as you say, his first season at Roma, he is the difference there. And uh, ends, what, an 18-year wait for a league title? No, no question. He is the difference. His partnership with Totti is extraordinary. First 10 games of the season, Batistuta scores in every single one of them. Then when Fiorentina come, and everyone's looking forward to this match, to the Stadio Olimpico in late November, he goes over to salute the visiting fans, and you're thinking, is it going to be like Baggio when he came back with Juve against Fiorentina? 83 minutes later, the game is still goalless. Francesco Totti. And then Batty strikes. Gigu per Batistuta, il tiro c'è il gol! Gol di Gabriello Mar Batistuta, Roma in vantaggio! Oh, just, uh, what is it, a loose ball? And just, uh, it just falls outside of the area and he just connects with it. Um, just absolutely thumps his right foot through it. Um, I think so many of his goals were a little bit like the one Ibra scored at the weekend, you know, for, for LA Galaxy. And yeah, all of a sudden, all of his teammates crowd around him, um, I think aware of what emotions were running through his head. I don't want to basically allow him to be sort of visible to the cameras where he's crook because he's, he's just in floods of tears. Um, and he said afterwards that, um, you know, he would, of course, uh, accepted it if Roma had beaten Fiorentina, but he'd have preferred someone else to have scored the right. goal. How many years was he in Florence then? I think uh, close to a decade, no? Yeah. Yeah, about nine years. So 91 to 2000. Yeah, And not just being at a club, but being the club for many of those years. Well, I was mentioning um, before we came on air that, you know, Fiorentina in that period in the 90s, particularly in this country, had a status which I think was disproportionate really to the results that they got at that mm. time. Yeah, they won the Coppa Italia, they won the Super Coppa under, under Ranieri. But for a lot of his time there, they were a mid-table side. You know, they finished 12th, they finished um, 10th, they went down, they finished 9th, they finished 7th. You know, they only finished on the podium once in throughout his time there. And that's a team that had Gabriel Batistuta and Manuel Rui Costa. Um, yeah, again, it just goes to show the kind of depth and competitiveness of that league at the time. Yeah. So the season after for Roma did not go well, or nor for Batistuta, 
I was struck by the way his form seemed to decline. Once、mm. the title had been reached, he just seemed to suddenly lack that that edge that he'd had. I mean, he still scored some goals, but the misses became more celebrated in in a way, particularly in Europe for. For Roma, he he had a loan spell at at Inter. He had a final chapter in Qatar, along with once again Stefan Effenberg and Pep Guardiola.、Mm. Yeah, in Doha, and then started to deal with the fact that he his his ankles were completely destroyed. Amazing statistic: eight seasons at Fiorentina, he missed three games because of injury. Which, when you look at the footage, he's being kicked left, right, and centre all the time. Yeah, I mean. You think of when he basically moved to to Italy, the early nineties. You've still got those kind of classic Italian centre backs from the eighties. You know your Vircawards, your Ferdis, your you know, Bedgami and Baresi still in their prime, as well as you know later on the likes of Montero and people like that who would just you know kick the life out of you. You know, and he said that、um, yeah, it wasn't enough for just one of those world class Hall of Fame centre backs to mark you. Battistuta was that good that they would put two, three guys on him, and as you mentioned, his ability to play for much of the the season,、um, yeah, he never really suffered a sort of serious knee injury that you'd expect from say another、apart、great contemporary. Yeah, apart from the one time,、um, didn't have the injuries that Ronaldo had, for example. But I think his ankles took the same kind of beating that Van Basten's ankles did, and yet he he managed to play on, played through it all. And has really paid the price for that. You know, it was. I think you know, he was in Rome only a couple of weeks ago for、mm. a charity game, which he kind of walked through.、Um, and he said it's just it's just a blessing to be able to walk because two years ago he was almost completely immobilized,、um, you know, from the excruciating pain、um, that he has in his ankles. Now all the cartilage is, is basically gone、mm. in, in the joints. Really sad end to. Uh, incredible story, Gabriel Batistuta. I met him a couple of times.、Mm. You know, one other thing about this—he was, of course, Argentina's top scorer until Messi came along. Yeah, that guy. And, <laughs> and his stats there: fifty-four goals for Argentina in seventy-seven games. And this is despite the fact that he actually missed a good deal of the build-up to the World Cup nineteen ninety-eight. Yeah, because Passarella didn't like him. But he refused to get his hair cut. Mm. And I remember talking to him about this, and Passarella had a view that people with long hair, players with long hair, would lose a proportion, marginal gains and all that, of game time, flicking their hair out the way with their vision obscured in some way by their locks.、It's、so like he, me in a podcast, like you in a podcast. <laughs> so Passarella said, "I am only going to pick players with short hair," and he told Batistuta, "You need to get your hair cut, otherwise, I'm not picking you." Well, and that's the other thing is that、uh, he was first coached by Passarella when he was at River Plate. And people forget that Batistuta, in his what teens, early twenties, went from River Plate to Boca Juniors. He crossed one of the biggest, bitterest divides there is in football.、Um, partly because Passarella just did not like him in the slightest.、Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm pleased that Batty never cut his hair for Passarella. Well, he did in the end. Well, I mean, he, he did in the end. He backed down and he got and he looked good with it. He got like a、yeah. quite a you know a, a cropped. Version, but he grew it back. He for, grew it back. Yeah, you know, it's long now. Exactly. Yeah. So, should he be in the team? I think so, on the basis that,、um, as we've mentioned, yeah, his injury record was more or less, yeah, compared with Ronaldo,、mm. who did get in there, he had the most sustained impact, I think, of any striker in the nineties because he played pretty much every game from ninety one 
to 2003, uh, really, and was always um, there or thereabouts at the top of the scoring charts. Um, he was a big game performer as well. Big game performer, um, scored a variety of goals, and um, Walter Zenger, um, the Inter and Sampdoria goalkeeper in that, at that time, said that he was, in his opinion, the best foreign player ever to play in Serie A um, because he felt that Batistuta got better every year until the decline um, after that uh, title-winning season. In Roma, and to be honest, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting argument to make that, really. Mm. It's a tough one. You've got to leave somebody out. Personally, I'd have Ronaldo because, well, Ronaldo yeah. and Batistuta. You wonder maybe if... Maybe we could play three or four up front in a Zeman-esque... Oh, yeah, a Zeman yeah. definitely would. I mean, yeah. you do wonder, had... Um, Batistuta had gone to uh, a Milan or had he gone to a Real Madrid um, like if he'd followed the same career trajectory as Ronaldo had let's say um, you know would he be would his status be even greater than it is considering that he didn't get to play in the Champions League until he was 30 um, considering that at the 94 World Cup Argentina started with that evisceration of Greece um, he scored so, a hat-trick no? yeah and that was I think his first game competitive game with Diego Maradona and then obviously what happens happens to Maradona um, yeah maybe if you know he'd basically kept himself in check and and had played the duration of that tournament they might have won that tournament because yeah. I think um, yeah Batistuta was probably the best striker that um, that Maradona played with at an inter- international level um, so that's a case of you know what could have been really he was always top scorer in World Cups until Argentina were knocked out mm. So fair enough. All right then, Gabriel Batistuta, we salute you. Now, a quick thing, and then a quick word on what's coming up this weekend. Listeners, if you want to combine your knowledge of the footy with your knowledge of the footsie, then you need to get yourself over to the football stock market, Football Index. Football Index is a new way to profit from your knowledge of City A, the Premier League, and beyond. Buy and sell players, build a portfolio, earn dividends, and sell at a profit. Because you listen to Golazzo, you can try Football Index and trade up to £1,000 entirely risk-free. Just head to footballindex.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY, and if you don't love Football Index, you'll get a full refund with a seven-day money-back guarantee. Download the app or play online at footballindex.co.uk and become a football trader today. TNCs apply, you must be over 18, deposit required, and please trade responsibly. Well, last weekend was interesting. It's been a little bit overshadowed by what happened in the Champions League midweek. And we're uh, talking here on Wednesday morning, so we haven't had the Barcelona-Roma game yet. But Juventus pulling four points clear of Napoli last weekend after Napoli could only draw at Sassuolo. Juve coming up with a certainly an impressive result against Milan. The performance wasn't all there. And in many ways, I guess it carried warning signs about the amount of chances Real Madrid might get. Uh, this weekend... Juventus is going to be at Benevento while Napoli hosts Chievo. So not too much opportunity, do you think, for Napoli to close the gap? I wouldn't think so. Uh, and also Napoli, I think, drew with Chievo in the in the reverse fixture. Right. Chievo are fighting for their lives at the moment. And Napoli look tired, um, as do everyone in mm. City at the moment, because I think uh, it's a consequence of the fact that there is everything still to play for at every level in City yeah. at the moment. You know, the league title, the Champions League, the Europa League, down at the bottom, and uh, everyone looks naked. Yeah, 
Benevento, who are hosting Juventus this weekend, by the way, last weekend went to Rome to take on Lazio and were in the lead. Yeah. 2-1. Thanks to, what, two players on loan from Lazio. Danilo Cataldi, who scored the free kick. And Lombardi sent up um, Guillermo for the second goal. But it didn't end 2 one, no. did it? <laughs> 6-2. Yeah, Immobile once again showing the kind of clinical finishing that uh, escapes him when he plays yeah. for his national team. So that means, so that, which is really interesting uh, for the whole battle for third and fourth place in Syria behind Juventus and Napoli, Roma only managed to draw Saturday morning against Bologna. So as we go into the... The games they're going to be played on Wednesday night. There's only three points between Roma, Inter, and Lazio. Inter are playing this evening in the derby with with Milan. So uh, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? That's really looking in the balance that whole third fourth uh, spot. And as you say, the Kiev are very much in the mix as are Verona and a bunch of other teams for the uh, the relegation battle. Interesting games coming up this weekend. Well, we've got Roma Fiorentina, mm-hmm. massive game that for a Roma. Batty Batty derby. The Batty Derby. Fiorentina, who had a win away at Udinese yes, midweek. Um, which was obviously uh, these games were being played because they were the ones that were postponed after the tragic death of Davide Astori. Um, and uh, they have won every single game um, since Astori Fiorentina. passed away. Yeah. Right. So that's going to be an interesting clash coming up at five o'clock on Saturday. Uh, Torino Inter is the early Sunday one, which you can catch. And Saturday evening's game after Roma Fiorentina looks a bit special as well. Is it the Derby della Lanterna? It is. Sampdoria yeah. Genoa. Yeah, and uh, both teams winning in midweek. Um, Samp uh, unexpectedly mm. um, upsetting Atalanta in Bergamo. Samp have an awful record on the road, so no one uh, thought that they were going to uh, managed to do that and that really puts them back in kind of pole position to get a Europa League place and uh, and Genoa also winning who've um, really been turned around by Davide Balladini they looked like they were going to be very much um, fighting for their lives until the end of the season back when they got rid of Ivan Juric and instead they're, they're comfortably safe and uh, very difficult to score goals against Nice Alright Well there you go That's match day 31 Trentunesimo giornata Coming up this weekend uh, And I uh, do hope you enjoy it If you manage to catch any of it We will return next Wednesday With another edition of Golazzo You can go away now And have a good think About what to talk about there But your suggestions Always welcome listener You can uh, send them to us At The Totally Show On Twitter Lovely James thank you so much for that Pleasure Jimbo was all mine and we'll catch up with you listener next week My name is Matt Davis. You'll have heard me on the Totally Football Show and Gorilla Position. And for those of you who enjoy your talk about spandex screw jobs and cheap pops as much as your discussions of the Premier League, the Champions League and beyond, then here's some news to brighten up your road to WrestleMania. Ooh, yeah. I've hurled the jabroni who used to host the Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast through the barbershop window so that we can begin a new era. New guests, new music, new gimmick, new spandex. <laughs> Parts Unknown begins on the first week of April with our WrestleMania preview show. And once we're done reviewing it seven days later, we'll begin breaking down all the previous manias from 33 to 1 in our WrestleMania Rewind. Here we go! We'll also have interviews with WWE superstars past and present and analysis of the current pay-per-views. Sound too good to be true? Oh, it's true. It's damn true. true. 
So, if you enjoyed Parts Unknown before, consider this reboot the Ringmaster becoming Stone Cold, Husky Harris becoming Bray Wyatt, or Kane becoming the Mayor of Knox County. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast, from the people who bought you the Totally Football Show. Subscribe now on Acast, iTunes, and everywhere else you get your podcasts.